This morning, we're going to be talking all about anger. And let me go ahead and tell you, anger can be incredibly ugly. Have, have you ever seen somebody when they just fly off the handle? Just seen somebody lose their temper and get angry? I remember this time I was in a Walmart parking lot and I saw this guy just screaming at a postal worker right outside of Walmart. It was, it was, I mean, it was understandable to some degree because the, the postal worker had cut off and taken the parking space of this guy who'd been waiting. But man, just to see that guy yelling at the postal worker, losing his mind, I mean, he was out of control. And then there was this time I was at the local wide, just real close to our Pioneer campus, and I saw this guy screaming at an old lady outside in the parking lot of a local Y. It looked like the dude had lost his mind. He's screaming at an old lady, and he just won't back down. And it was, it was truly pathetic. And then there was this time that there was this guy who had just written a sermon about how not to lose control and get angry. And then one hour later, he lost control and got angry with his own daughter. Actually, that, that last one was me. <laughs> that was my story. Literally, I wrote this sermon back on Monday. And an hour after I finished the sermon, hit period at the end of it, I had gone home. Literally an hour later, after writing a sermon about how not to lose your temper, I lost my temper with my daughter. Interestingly enough, actually all three of those are me. The guy yelling at the postal worker at the local Walmart was me. The guy yelling at an old lady at the Y right by the church where he worked at was me. I have witnesses to prove it. My, my friend Todd was right there when I'm yelling at that lady at the local Y going, holy cow, who is this guy? And my wife was right by me when I'm yelling at the postal worker at Walmart and she's trying to get me to stop and I can't because I've just gone bananas. Lost my mind. I, I got to confess to you. Today, of all the sermons that we've had in this mental health series, this one is the one I'm in most danger of being the pot calling the kettle black, of hypocrisy, of preaching to you a message about how to control your anger when I am so terrible at controlling my own temper. So I, I, I want to admit that to you all along this sermon series, we've been given disclaimers and saying we're not experts in mental health. And so I, I've given disclaimer, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a licensed counselor. And, and, and I would need to give that today as well, but I need to give a little addendum to it. Not only am I not a professional, I stink at being normal and not controlling my own anger. This is an area where I need to hear. This sermon is for me probably more than it's for you. And so I'm preaching this sermon from a place of debility, of not being strong enough to deliver it. But praise God, we have a God who uses weak people to accomplish his message. And so I'm here to share God's truth with you because it is still truth, whether I know how to put it into practice or not. And I'm trying to grow in this, but we need to talk about anger because not only do I need it, there are so many people right now in society who need it because of what the pandemic has done. Just because of the stressors and all the hardship and the change in our culture, there has been such an increase in explosions of anger and hatred and division, and, and it's rampant right now. And there are so many concerns about a rise in, in, in abuse at home and, and domestic abuse and other types of abuse, and, and anger is, is swelling in our country, and we need to speak to it. And, and I want to speak to those of you, and maybe you're not involved with domestic abuse or anything like that, but you do realize that there's an increase in your temper. Or maybe you've just always struggled with losing your temper easily, getting angry easily. If that's you, there's something I know about you because I struggle with this as well. And the one thing I know about you is that it's probably one of the things you most hate about yourself. You hate the fact that you can't, you can't seem to control your temper. 
It's not that you want to fly off the handle. It's not that you want to lose your temper and, and yell at postal workers outside of Walmart. It's just like, it's, it's almost like this beast, this, this raging machine comes out of you. And you just go into this place where your mind's not functioning anymore and you just, you get angry. And you can't control it until finally, after a while, everything settles down and you're looking around going, holy cow, look at all the carnage I've left by me. And we end up hurting the people that we love the most and we hate it. We know that anger is destructive. We know it because of experience, but we should know it because God's truth has been telling us this for thousands and thousands of years. So if you happen to be one of those few people who either don't struggle with anger or who've never been around someone who struggles with anger, let me go ahead and tell you, God's word is gonna teach you that anger is a terribly destructive force. We're gonna start off in the book of Psalms, excuse me, the book of Proverbs. We're gonna be in chapter 14. I just wanna show you a few of the Proverbs to see the wisdom literature that shows us just how dangerous that the anger problem that many of us have can be. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 17 says this, a man of quick temper acts foolishly and a man of evil devices is hated. You go over to, to verse 29 of the same chapter, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Here you can see just when you're quick tempered, how destructive that can be. If you go over to chapter 15, verse 18, it says a hot tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow, slow to anger quiets contention. Again and again, if you are hot-tempered, if you are easily angered, you're going to cause problem after problem. If you were to flip over to the end of the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, verse 22, listen to what it says here. A man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. When we're given over to anger, we destroy so much of the stuff around us. We cause transgression and pain and suffering. Anger can be such an ugly thing. Now, as we read these Proverbs, one of the greatest dangers that we can arrive at, though, is this false conclusion that anger is always bad. That anytime we have anger, that it must be coming from an evil place. But I, I want you to actually know anger in and of itself isn't necessarily bad. It's neutral. There are times when anger can be righteous. In fact, if you were to flip over to the New Testament, you go to Matthew chapter 21, verses 12 and 13. You see an example of righteous indignation from Jesus himself when he gets angry. So the context is he's, he's going over to the temple, which should be a place of prayer and worship. And he sees that there are people being left out of the temple because people are trying to make a buck on their religion, on God. And listen to what he says in verses 12 and 13 of Matthew 21. It says, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. What you're seeing right here is Jesus and he is ticked off. You, you gotta understand the scene. Like Jesus didn't go, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip over the table real quick, real quick, oh, no. When he got up there, he got up there and just wham, and he was about to flip that table over and he did in anger. He was ticked. There's money flying everywhere, pigeons flying everywhere because he can't stand what they're doing. His anger is letting loose, but it's righteous anger. It's righteous, first of all, because Jesus never sinned. And second of all, because Jesus wasn't angry. He wasn't hating the people who were around. His anger was driven by love for all the people who didn't get to come into the house of God. You, you see, the, the difference between righteous anger and unrighteous anger is simply what the anger is pointed at. That's the, the game changer. Jesus had it pointed in the right place. Anger, though, in and of itself is completely neutral. If you were to take it down to a physiological level, anger is, is simply a state of readiness of the body in order to fight anything that might be a danger against it. 
Maybe you've never thought about anger this way, but I want to bring it down to a, a physiological level. What's going on in your body whenever you get angry? Anger is part of the way God created us to be prepared for whatever may come against us or come against a threat against somebody that we love and want to protect. Anger gets our body ready. So the way it works is the amygdala, which is a part of your brain, that's the whole fight or flight part of your brain that kicks on this animalistic response to things, will engage your limbic system. That's your emotional seat. And what it does is it creates in your body a chemical. Catecholamines start getting released in your body and, and adrenaline starts getting released in your body. And what this does is it elevates the sense of energy inside you so that you can be prepared to fight whatever's coming against you. And there are some ramifications of the catecholamines that get released in your body. One of the biggest ones is that your heart rate increases and your blood pressure increases. And the reason why that happens is your body and your heart is sending blood to all the extremities of your body to get them ready for action. This is why when you see somebody who's really angry, they're red-faced. It's because blood is rushing to their head. If you were to look at their hands and their feet, you would see they're red too because what's going on is blood is coming over there to give it the energy it needs so that it can take action quickly. Another thing you'll notice is that the heart rate will increase uh, and the breathing will go along with it, that heart rate increase. So the breathing is trying to get you more oxygen. The way your body operates, it needs oxygen in order to produce what it needs to produce to run, to fight, to punch, to kick. And so you start taking in deep breaths, trying to get as much oxygen inside of you as possible to fight. And then a third thing that goes on inside your body is that your field of view begins to narrow. You really only focus in on what's ahead of you and not the things that are around you. And this is another protectionary measure. So like if, if a bear is coming against you and you know you need to fight against this bear because they're going to get your kids, you don't want to be getting ready for it all of a sudden. Oh, look, a butterfly. You know, you just like totally get distracted. No, you want your field of view to be narrowed so that you're focused in on the danger in front of you. This is why usually you can't see or hear anything else around you. You're so focused on what's taking place because your limbic system is trying to get you ready for the fight that's against you. Now, this is all an incredibly beautiful part of the way God created the animal kingdom to have this capacity to rise up against a threat and fight against it. It's beautiful until there's a problem when you begin to feel something's a threat that's not really a threat. And when you get all elevated and angry at things that shouldn't really make you angry. Now, there's a beautiful gift that God has given human beings that he has not given any other created animal. And it's the gift of something called the prefrontal cortex, or at least not to the degree that humanity has the prefrontal cortex. No other animal has it like human beings. The prefrontal cortex is your reasoning. It's your, it's your management system of life. It's the higher ability to think and process. So the amygdala is the seat of emotion. The prefrontal cortex is the seat of higher thinking, processing. And the way God created us, the, the prefrontal cortex is the capacity you have to disengage the limbic system when something is not truly a threat. So you start to get elevated, and then the, the prefrontal cortex is supposed to help say, nope, not a real threat, bring it back down. So, so if you think about the way these works, you got the amygdala, and the amygdala engages the limbic system. That's kind of like the Incredible Hulk. You know, when he like, starts turning green, and he gets his big machine, and, and then the the other part of him, the prefrontal cortex, is like Bruce Banner. That's the emotion of it. And these two are constantly at war with each other, one trying to control the other. And the way God created us for these two to be in tension. If, if we need to respond, the amygdala will kick in the, kick in the limbic system, and out comes the, the big green machine to do what he's supposed to do. But if you're not supposed to do there, then Bruce Banner and the prefrontal cortex is supposed to help you not engage when you don't need to. It's a beautiful system, 
But there's one flaw to it. I'm not saying God created us bad, but this, in his wisdom, he created us in such a way that the amygdala responds a whole lot faster than the prefrontal cortex. And that's because amygdala is designed to, in, to engage the limbic system immediately because usually a threat comes quickly. So here's what takes place. There's a threat that comes. And before we even know it, the big green machine, we're ripping off our shirt and we're freaking out all over the place because our limbic system is now engaged and Bruce Banner is nowhere to be found. It happens so quickly when the amygdala responds that the prefrontal cortex actually gets hampered. And here's what happens. The blood begins to change in your body. So in your brain, there's blood. And whenever you're operating well, your blood is up here in the frontal lobe helping you reason well. But when you feel a threat, your blood begins to rush down to the sides and into the amygdala, engaging another system. And now you have no more blood or not much left in the prefrontal cortex. And therefore you can't reason. The Hulk is loose, wreaking havoc everywhere, and you can't seem to stop it. That's the biggest issue that most of us have with anger is that it, it feels like it's uncontrollable. And the reason why is when the limbic system is fully engaged and everything is going, the prefrontal cortex is shut down. Now, here's, here's the, the bad news of that. The bad news is whenever we finally do come down, and sooner or later we will come down from that moment, we're going to come back to Bruce Banner and we're going to be looking around going, holy cow, look at all the carnage I've just left around here. We're going to see our destruction and we're going to have regret. And here's what I know for a fact. If you struggle with anger, losing your temper, you live with a constant feeling of regret. I wish I hadn't said that word. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't whatever. We're looking at the carnage when the limbic system was controlling us and our prefrontal cortex was nowhere to be found. And we hate it about ourselves. And we wonder, is there anything that can be done? And the answer is yes, there is something that can be done. Now, in this sermon series, if you've been tracking along with us, then normally, you know, at this point, we say, okay, you got to take your thought captive and then you got to replace it with something else. That's our whole system all along. There's a war going on in your mind and anger is a part of that. And you got to take the angry thoughts captive and you got to replace them with, with something better, something true. But here's the problem when the limbic system is in control. The ability to take a thought captive and replace it is a high functioning prefrontal cortex kind of action. And when your amygdala has engaged the limbic system, you don't have the capacity to take a thought captive and replace it with something else. So if you want to be able to handle this, the first thing you have to do is gain control of your body. And the Bible tells us there is a way to ensure the limbic system doesn't control us and the prefrontal cortex is able to engage. And it's not rocking science. The way that we handle this is we just choose to wait for the prefrontal cortex to take control. We don't give in to the green machine that is trying to burst out of us. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the Marvel movies, but you see Bruce Banner and he's starting to turn green and he's trying to control it. Like that's kind of the process we go through. We can start to feel the amygdala engaging the limbic system. And when that happens, we're supposed to wait and not take action. We need to be what the Bible calls slow to anger. So if you were to flip over to the book of James chapter one, verses 19 and 20, he makes this as clear as possible. He says, this is James, the half-brother of Jesus. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He's solidifying what we've been hearing. The anger of man with this unbridled, loose anger does not produce righteousness. So he, is the, he says, therefore, be quick to hear, be slow to speak, be slow to anger. He's saying, delay the movement toward anger. 
This is the same thing we've been reading back in the Proverbs. If you go back to those Proverbs statements, back in verse 17, he talks about the foolishness of a quick temper. Verse 29, he says, but whoever is slow to anger has great understanding. Chapter 15, verse 18, he says, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Slow to anger, slow to anger, slow to anger. What you're seeing here is just some sage advice. If it feels good to get angry, don't do it. Wait, be slow to anger. Now, if you struggle with anger, then I know right now there is a screaming thought going on in your mind and you're saying, but Jason, that's the whole problem. I can't slow down the anger once it starts. Once it rears its head, there's no stopping this green beast coming out of me. The Hulk is coming. Bruce Banner's gone. And, and, I, and if you feel that, I want you to know, I, I understand. Trust me, I understand. But there is a way to control it. There are some very simple things that you can do to help slow your movement toward anger. I, I want to give you just three. Three very important things that you can do to slow your movement toward anger. Very first one, it's a simple thing. It is to exhale deeply. I've heard it said a lot of times, listen, if you, if you want to calm down, just take a deep breath. And that's actually terrible advice. Because when you take a deep breath, you go and you bring in air. But let me tell you what that is. That signals the brain, I'm getting ready for a fight. Remember I talked to you about the limbic system and what takes place? You breathe more deeply because you need oxygen in order to fight. So if you bring in oxygen, it signals to your brain, I'm preparing for a fight. And it actually exacerbates the problem. So what you need to do isn't so much take in a deep breath, it's to exhale very deeply. And here's the reason why. That signals to your brain that everything is okay, the threat is gone. I mean, just think about it for a second. What do you do whenever you feel relief? So, so, so let's just imagine you're at home and there's tornado sirens going off and you and your whole family, you're hunkered down in the bathroom in a tub with a mattress over you, scared to death, the tornado's about to hit you. And you're all over there and you're breathing heavily and you're scared to death. And then it passes over and you hear the siren stop and you know everything's okay. What do you do? You go, you exhale. Why? Because the threat is gone. When you exhale deeply, it is a signal to your brain. The threat is gone. I don't have to be afraid. And therefore, when, when the limbic system is engaging, preparing for a threat, the exhale is a signal that says, stop producing the catecholamines, the, stop producing the adrenaline. You don't need it right now. Let your body calm down. So a deep exhale will begin to help control the green machine inside you that's trying to come out. Second thing that you can do in the moment when you start to feel the Hulk coming up, the limbic system engaging, this it, is going to sound weird, but it's press your tongue to the bottom of your mouth. It, just press your tongue down. It, there, there's nothing, it doesn't matter how you do it, just press your tongue down. And the reason why is because when your tongue is depressed, it sends a signal to your gut that you don't have to be afraid. Now, you might, you might not be aware of this, but anger and fear are very closely related and they're in, they produce a lot of the exact same response physiologically in the body. It's the same limbic system that's responding to it. Increased blood pressure, heart rate, breathing, narrowing of vision. All these things happen with both fear and anger. Now, the exhale tries to help take away the threat, but the tongue on the bottom of your mouth tries to say, I don't have to be afraid of whatever I'm coming against. So in your gut, it settles down your fears. And there's another benefit of pressing your tongue at the bottom of your mouth. It keeps you from speaking. <laughs> and you, you remember what James said. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. 
And you and I both know that we say the dumbest things when we're angry. We say the things we most deeply regret when we're angry. That's why he says, be slow to speak. When you press your tongue on the bottom of your mouth, if it does anything, it keeps you from talking. And that can save your bacon on a lot of occasions. So first thing, deep exhale. Next thing, press your tongue to the bottom of your mouth. Third, most important thing you need to do is walk away. Just exit the scene. Because once the limbic system is engaging, I can guarantee you, you will not make good decisions. And the, the one thing that will help you the most is to get away long enough for your system to cool down, the blood to come back to your prefrontal cortex so that you can begin to reason all over again and respond correctly. And, and I think sometimes when we're faced with something that feels like a threat or when we get angry, we feel like we need to solve the problem right then and there. Like it's a sign of weakness to walk away or they might not learn, especially parents with kids. But the truth is we are going to do our most destructive things in those moments when we're not, we're not processing and reasoning the way we should. And the best thing we could do would just be to walk away, let our system cool down. Then we can reapproach and say what needs to be said with actual reasoning taking place. So those are the three steps. Exhale, press your tongue down and walk away and wait until you've cooled down. Once you've done those, then you will now have blood in your prefrontal cortex. Then you will be able to have Bruce Banner back who can rightly reason with what's going on in the situation and assess it. And now after you've calmed, you can take the thought captive and you can replace it with truth. Now we're ready to do the higher functioning reasoning to help us discern why we get so angry all the time. And this is when the book of Ephesians is going to help us figure this out. So I want you to flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to finish up in this passage. We're going to read verses 26 and 27, and we're going to learn how to take the thought captive. And then we're going to go to verses 31 and 32 and understand how to replace the thought with something better. So let's start. Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul is going to teach us in verses 26 and 27 how to take the angry thoughts captive. Here's what he says. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Okay, so, so stop right there for a moment and, and think about what he's saying. Because there's a couple of, of just nuggets of truth in here. First thing you'll notice, he says is, be angry and yet do not sin. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, don't get angry. He says, yeah, get angry. Just don't sin when you do so. In other words, we can be angry. It goes back to what Jesus was doing earlier. There is something called righteous anger, righteous indignation. Be angry. Just be angry at the right thing and don't sin along with it. And the reason why is because when we sin in our anger, we give the devil an opportunity. That next part, he says, give no opportunity to the devil. Here's what you need to know. Unbridled anger is the devil's playground. It says give no opportunity. That word in the Greek for opportunity means don't give space. Don't, don't give a foothold. Don't give a, a toe in the door to let Satan inside you. And Satan uses unbridled anger to get into our lives and wreak havoc on us and the people around us. And we need to be cognizant of that. This is how the devil works. We need to fight against that and not give the devil opportunity. And he even tells us how. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Now, I gotta be honest with you. I've heard this preached wrong so many times that there are people all the time who try to preach when they say, don't let the sun go down on your anger. That means if you're having a fight with your spouse, with a child, with a parent, with a friend, then you best resolve it before you go to sleep that night. Don't go to bed angry. This, this right here is teaching that you need to reconcile before you go to bed. And the truth is, that's not what it's teaching. I know that's not what it's teaching for multiple reasons. 
one of the chief reasons is because it doesn't practically make sense. What I've been teaching you is how the limbic system works and the fact that you can't even reason whenever you are in full threat mode, angry mode, because you're processing part of your brain isn't working. And so imagine this, you got husband, you got wife, and they're both in, in this green rage fighting against each other. And so we got to talk this out. We got to, they're just yelling at each other. That's not solving anything because they can't even process. Sometimes the best thing you can do for your spouse or your child or your parent or your friend is to give them time to cool down and give yourself time to cool down. This Bible passage is not teaching us that we must resolve this conflict before we go to sleep. I, I got I to be honest with you too. There are times when I have been the, the cruelest to my own wife, when I have forced her to talk through because I thought this passage was teaching we got to resolve this before we fall asleep. It's two in the morning. We're both angry as can be and exhausted, can't think straight, but we got to resolve. It's not what it's saying. And another way I know it's not what it's saying is because it doesn't say, and don't let the day end while you're still not reconciled. It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Not on your dispute, not on your disagreement, on your anger. Here's what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, by the time the, the sun goes down the next time, that, that, in the Jewish mind, that's the next day. He's saying like within a day, make sure you take time to look at what is causing your anger and to deal with your anger. What he's trying to teach us here is how to take our thought captive, ultimately to discover what is triggering our anger, to do some mental work on our anger. And so, so here's what I want to do. I want to help you understand the best way to learn how not to let the sun go down on your anger, how to, how to really think through what's going on in your brain. And, and if you've been journaling with us in this, uh, this sermon series, you're not going to be surprised that my solution is to journal answers out because we've been talking about it every single week. But my suggestion to you is to journal through a few questions to help you really discern what are my thoughts and how can God speak in it. So let's start with the first question. First question I would like you to journal through. It's very simple. And is what is actually causing the feeling of anger inside me? I'd love for you to write that down, just like you see on your screen. What is actually causing the feeling of anger inside me? Because if you can locate the, the origin of your anger, you're locating triggers. Now, I know some of you, when you hear me talk again about journaling, you're going, geez, Louise, Jason, I know you like journaling, but that's not the best solution for everyone. And, and I know not everyone likes journaling, but can I just tell you, this is just not something I want to offer to you because I like journaling. It's something I want to offer to you because these are what counselors are telling me are the most important things. I had a conversation just last week with a counselor, a trained, licensed, biblical counselor. And what they told me is that the number one tool to try to bring a person back to mental health is journaling. It is clarifying thoughts. It is writing down what's taking place, journaling out, chronicling what are things causing anger or depression or anxiety. It's the number one resource. And it is the one thing she was telling me that people are least likely to do. So I don't want you to be in that group that knows journaling is good for you and doesn't do it. I'm gonna keep bringing back to you again and again. This journaling will help you attain mental health if you'll give it a try. So start journaling out. What is actually causing the anger inside me? Again, what you're looking for are triggers. And what you'll discover if you actually journal through this, every time you get angry, go back at some point within the next 24 hours and journal out what, what caused my anger. So I went back that next morning after I lost my cool with my daughter, right after writing a sermon about how to control my temper, I got up the next morning and I'm journaling out. Okay, God, reveal to me. What was the trigger point? 
And my trigger point was I felt disrespected by one of my children. And, and I've discovered it in my life. That is a common trigger point, disrespect. Now, here's why that's helpful. If I'm in my sane mind and I'm working at this, when I feel disrespected and I feel the Hulk coming out, I feel the limbic system engaging, I can stop and say, well, no, 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 that's a trigger. That's a trigger. Watch out. Step away. Now, there are all kinds of triggers. And, and what's interesting is pretty much every human being has got a different set of triggers. Because triggers come about by three things. It, it pertains to your temperament, your, your natural personality. It, it, it pertains to your upbringing, like the modeling you had around you from parents and siblings and stuff. And it comes from your life experiences, what you've been through, both positive and negative. When these come together, they form your triggers. And, and all of us, because we have different upbringing, we have different temperament, we have different life experiences, we have different triggers. But whenever you take the time to go through and think through this periodically, what is my trigger? You'll start to find commonalities. And these commonalities help you take the thought captive. Every time you start to get angry, you can look and say, nope, that's a trigger. Beware. Now, I, I want to pause right here for a second. And I'm going to say something. Some of you, when you do this homework, you're going to discover either A, you have a mountain of triggers and you don't know why you keep getting triggered, or B, you get triggered by things that should not be triggering you. You may discover that you have something deeper than just a, a reasoning issue going on in your brain. There could be a chemical thing going on in your head. The, the body produces chemical, chemicals sometimes more easily than with other people. And there are things like bipolar, like schizophrenia and others that can create anger that, that is explosive and not triggered by normal things. And you are not going to be able to overcome this just by trying to locate your triggers. It could come from trauma in your past because every single time you get close to a trauma or experience something that feels like a trauma, it triggers anger. It could be that you have certain control issues because you have had a loss of control. And these are things you need to be counseled through. You're not going to discover it on your own. So if you're, while you're doing this hard work, you realize you have way too many triggers or you have way too volatile a response to triggers, then I want to encourage you to seek help. I want to encourage you to find a biblical counselor who can help you journey through the trauma and the triggers and the problems. Maybe even a psychiatrist who can help you find medication to help level the playing ground in your head so you can see things rationally. There are too many Christians who think that medication or counseling is some kind of sign of a failure of faith, and it's not. It is a sign of humility and a sign that God has gifted us people in the church, in the Christian community who can help us. So I want to encourage you. It's not a sign of weakness to seek help. It's a sign of strength. We want to help you. And we can connect with you if you find out you have that need. You just let us know. You can text the word prayer to 94253, just like you see right there on your screen. And when you see that number, you text the word prayer to 94253, you're going to fill out just basic info, name, phone number, email, and you're going to let us know what, what, what's going on in your life and the counseling need that you have. A pastor will call you, pray with you, and then help connect you to the right resource that you may need. Just let us know. Be humble enough to seek the help that you need. Okay, so all of us though, when we do the hard work of taking the thought captive, we've discovered our triggers, we need to move on to the, sec the second part of it. We don't just take the thought captive, we replace it with something better. And in order to do that, we're gonna ask a second question. So the first question is, what is actually causing the feeling of anger inside me? The second question we wanna ask is, and you're probably familiar with this if you've been going through the sermon series, what does God have to say about what makes me angry? God speaks into everything. What does God have to say about what makes me angry? And that's where Paul in verses 31 and 32 gives us the answer to it. So we're going to finish up here with these two verses. Listen to what it says. It says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you 
along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So he's, he's telling us the principle. Take it captive, replace it. Take the thoughts captive. Let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. So capture it and trap it and then replace it. He says, instead, let there be kindness and tenderness and forgiveness just as God in Christ forgave you. So when he talks about tenderness and kindness and forgiveness, what he's talking about is love. If you were to look at your Bible, the word anger is mentioned over 500 times. And there is only one emotion mentioned more than anger. And can you guess what it is? I'll bet you can. It's love. Love is the only emotion mentioned more than anger. And love is a thing we have to replace inside of us. It is not enough just to take the angry thought captive. We have to bring love inside of us. A love that wants what's good for God and for others around us. That's how we temper the anger inside of us. To which you go, but when I'm angry, how do I have love? Well, it's very simple. He tells us right here, if you want to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving, here's how you do it. You remember how God in Christ forgave you. Can I tell you what that is? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it is, that God in Christ forgave you. It's a reminder that every single one of us has sinned against our holy God who loved us and created us, breathed life into us, sustained us, watched out for us. And even though he's done all that for us, we have turned our backs on him saying, nah, I can do this life better than you can. I don't need you, God. We've all gone astray, turned away from God. And because of it, we deserve his wrath. But he loved us so much. He put his wrath on the shoulders of his own son on the cross of Jesus Christ. And he forgave us in Christ. And when you know, when you inhale the message of the gospel that you have been forgiven because of Christ, then you are able to forgive others. When God has been gentle with you, you can be gentle with others. When God has loved you, you can love others. So the, the inhale of the gospel allows us to exhale the gospel of love in place of anger. It is the gospel that gives us the capacity not to be angry. So, so here's what I want to say to you. There are some of you watching this and you need to know this. You struggle immensely with anger and you will never overcome it. No matter how hard you try breathing out, pressing your tongue down, walking away, trying to do all these practices and journaling until you have a new heart and a new spirit inside of you. You need a new heart that Christ can give you that is a heart that can love, that only comes from faith in the gospel. And you need a new spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. He produces fruit inside of us. In Galatians, he tells us what this fruit is. Some of it is love, peace, gentleness, kindness, self-control, the very things we need to be able to confront anger. And it comes from the spirit inside of us. But let me tell you how we get a new heart and a new spirit. We do it by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, the one who washes our sins away. So if you're watching this and you're ready to have a, a brand new start in your life, you're ready to see what God can do, then you need to make the same decision those 82 people did last week who were baptized at the Viridian who said, I don't want to live my life anymore for me. Jesus, I want you to take over my life. And they placed their faith in Christ as they repented of their sins. You may need to do the same thing. Listen, if you're ready to take that faith step, then all you got to do is let us know. You can text the word prayer to 94253, the same place as before. And you just let us know, just a little bit of information. Let us know you're ready to find Christ, faith in Christ. You're ready to have a new heart and a new spirit. And a pastor will reach out to you and tell you how to take a next step. But do that. Well, once you have taken that step, and for all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, We've taken the thought captive. We've replaced it. Now we move on to the third and final question. First one, what is actually causing the feeling of anger inside of me? Second question, what does God have to say about the anger inside of me? Third and final question is, 
should I really be angry? And 100% of the time, the answer is yes, yes, I should. And I know you're thinking, no, 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 you misspoke, Jason. You're supposed to say, no, 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 you're not. Because this whole sermon has been about how to not lose control with your anger. But no, I did not misspeak. Yes, yes, you should be angry. Let me tell you a little point you may not know. Love does not diffuse anger. It just redirects anger. Remember, it says, be angry and do not sin. It doesn't say don't be angry. It says be angry. Remember, Jesus was angry, but his anger was aimed at the right thing. His anger was aimed at anything that would keep people from coming into the kingdom of God. So his love for God caused him to hate whatever was a threat to his God. And that threat was the enemy. It was Satan. And so what I'm telling you is when you really love God and you really love the people that God loves, yes, you're still angry, but you're no longer angry at the people around you who offended. You're angry at Satan who is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. Your anger is redirected at him and you're able to love others and love God. This is exactly what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Make no mistake about it. Jesus going to the cross was, was him raging against Satan. He hated Satan so much. He was so angry with Satan that he was willing to pay any price to defeat him, even if it meant giving up his body and his blood to do so. The cross was Jesus ticked at Satan because he knew where his anger should be pointed. And what the Lord is trying to tell you and me is when we really love God, when we're filled with love, it doesn't lower our anger. It redirects our anger at what we should be angry with, Satan and his tactics. Let me tell you why that matters. Every time somebody wrongs you, every time somebody cuts you off on the highway and you want to give them the finger, every time that kid speaks back to you and you want to put him in your place, every time you're wronged and you want to be angry, you remember who your true enemy is and you get angry at Satan and you go, I'm not going to give you victory because you know he'll just be laughing if we lose control. And you spit in the face of Satan. You remind him as a defeated foe and you say, I choose to respond in love and grace and tenderness and kindness and forgiveness just as I've been forgiven because I want my enemy to be crushed and I hate him, not the people around me or the God who's loved me. It's the gospel that helps us overcome our anger. So in a moment, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper to remember the rage, the anger of Jesus toward the enemy and the love of God toward us as we're preparing for it. Though, so let's sing this song, Jesus Messiah. Let's get our hearts ready for it.